0: Section Forty Nine of the Sunnyside. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Sunnyside by A. A. Milne, Men of Letters, John Penquarto, A Tale of Literary Life in London, modeled on the Hundred Best Authors. John Penquarto looked round his diminutive bed-sitting room with a feeling of excitement not unmixed with awe So this was London the new life had begun With a beating heart he unpacked his bag and set out his simple belongings First his books his treasured books Where should he put them it was comforting to think that wherever they stood they would be within reach of his hand as he lay in bed he placed them on the window sill and read their titles again reverently. Half hours with our water beetles, the fret worker's companion, and strenuous days in Simla. He owed everything to them, and what an air they gave the room. But not such an air as was given by his other treasure, the photograph of Mary. Mary. He had only met her once. And that was twenty years ago, at his native Paul Wallop. He had gone to the big house with a message for Mister Trevena, her ladyship's butler, mother's respects, and she has found the other shirt front, and will send it up just as soon as it is dry. He had often taken a similar message, for Missus Penquarto did the washing for the upper servants at the hall, but somehow he had known that today was going to be different there just inside the gates was mary he was only six but even then he knew that never would he see again anything so beautiful she was five but there was something in her manner of holding herself and the imperious tilt of her head which made her seem almost five and a half i'm mary she said he wanted to say that he was john but could not he stood there tongue-tied I love you she went on his heart beat tumultuously he felt suffocated he longed to say so do I but was afraid that it was not good English even then he knew that he must be a writer when he grew up she leant forward and kissed him he realized suddenly that he was in love the need for self-expression was strong upon him shyly he brought out his last acid drop and shared it with her, he had never seen her since, but even now, twenty years after he could not eat an acid drop without emotion, and a whole bag of them brought the scene back so visibly as to be almost a pain. Yes, he was to be a writer; there could be no doubt about that. Everybody had noticed it. The vicar had said, "Johnny will never do any good at Paul Wallop. I fear." And the farmer, for whom John scared rooks, had said, Th- that-, "That lad seems daft like," and one after another of Missus Penquado's friends had given similar testimony. And now here he was, at twenty-six, in the little bed sitting room in Bloomsbury, ready to write the great novel which should take London by storm. Paul Wallop seemed a hundred years away. Feverishly he seized pen and paper. And began to wonder what to write it was near the Albert Memorial that the great inspiration came to him some weeks later those had been weeks of mingled hope and despair of hope as he had fondled again his treasured books and read their titles or gazed at the photograph of Mary of despair as he had taken off his belt and counted out his rapidly decreasing stock of money or reflected that he was as far from completing his novel as ever. Sometimes in the search for an idea, he had frequented the restaurants where the great Samuel Johnson himself had eaten. And sometimes he had frequented other restaurants where even the great Samuel Johnson himself had been unable to eat. Often he had gone into the British Museum and leant against a mummy case or taken a bus to Chelsea and pressed his forehead against the brass plate which marked Carlyle's house. But no inspiration had come. And then suddenly, quite close to the Albert Memorial, he knew. He would write a novel about a boy called William, who had lived in Cornwall and who came to London and wrote a novel a novel of which the westminster gazette said this novel undoubtedly places the author in the front rank of living novelists williams novel would be a realistic account of yes that was it of a boy called henry who had lived in cornwall and who came to london and wrote a novel a novel of which the morning post said by this novel the author has indubitably established his claim to be reckoned among the few living novelists who count but stay what should this novel of henry's be about it would be necessary to describe it for an hour he wrestled with that problem and then he had another inspiration henry's novel would be about a boy called thomas who had lived in cornwall and who came to london and wrote a novel about a boy called stephen Who had lived in cornwall and who came to london and wrote a novel about a boy called michael who had lived in cornwall and who came to london and wrote a novel about a boy called peter who had lived in cornwall and and so on and every one of the novels would establish the author's right to be reckoned etc and place him undoubtedly in the very front rank It was a stupendous idea. For a moment, John was almost paralyzed at contemplation of it. There seemed to be no end to his novel, as he had planned it. Was it too much for his powers? There was only one way to find out. He hurried back to his bed-sitting room, seized a pen, and began to write. It was two years later. For the last fortnight, John Penquarto had stopped counting the money in his belt. There was none left. For a fortnight now he'd been living on the belt itself but a great hope had always sustained him one day he would hear from the publisher to whom he had sent his novel a year ago and now at last the letter had come and he was seated in the office of the great mr pump himself his heart beat rapidly he felt suffocated well mr Penquarto," said the smiling publisher i may say at once That we like your novel we should have written before but we have only just finished reading it it's a little long about two million eight hundred thousand words I reckon it but I have a suggestion to make which will meet that difficulty I suggest that we publish it in half a dozen volumes stopping for the first volume at the press notices of say Peter's novel we find that the public likes these continuous books about terms We will send an agreement along tomorrow naturally as this is a first book We can only pay a nominal sum on account of royalties say 10,000 pounds how will that suit you with a heart still beating John left the office five minutes later and bought a new belt Then he went to a restaurant where goldsmith had never been and ordered a joint and two vegetables Success had come I should like to dwell upon the weeks which followed i should like to tell of john's emotion when he saw his first proofs and of the printer's emotion when he saw what a mess john had made of them i should like to describe how my hero's heart beat during the anxious days of waiting to picture to you his pride at the arrival of his six free copies and his landlady's surprise when he presented her with one above all i should like to bring home to you the eagerness with which he bought and opened the Times Literary Supplement, and read his first review. William Trey William, The First Phase, by John Penquarto, seven and a half by five and a quarter, eight hundred ninety-six pages, Albert Pump, nine shillings. I have no time to go into these matters, nor have I time in which to give at length his later press cuttings in which there was displayed a unanimity of opinion that John Penquarto was now in the front rank of living novelists, one of the limited number whose work really counted. I must hurry on. It was a week after the publication of William Trell William, the novel which had taken all London by storm. In all the drawing rooms of Mayfair, in all the clubs of Paul Mall, people were asking each other, who is John Penquarto nobody knew save one Lady Mary knew it was not the name Penquarto which had told her it was Yes, you have guessed the scene at the beginning of the book when William Trey William meets the little Anne and shares his last Raspberry drop with her even under this disguise she recognized that early meeting she pierced beneath the imagination of the novelist to the recollection of the man john penquarto of course now she remembered the name it had always been a mystery to her friends why lady mary had never married no girl in society had been more eagerly courted it was whispered that already she had refused more than one archbishop three newspaper proprietors and a couple of dukes something she scarcely knew what told her but this was not love. She must wait. As she dressed to go to the Duchess of Bilberry's at home, she wondered if she would ever meet John Penquarto again, and if he had altered. Mary, it was John speaking. He had seen her the moment she came in at the door. Something was it—the Duchess's champagne at dinner—had reminded him of the acid drop they had eaten together. And this had brought back his memories in a flood tonight he would meet her again he knew it instinctively besides it was like this that william tray william had met anne again and henry paul henry had met sarah and thomas pentumas had met alice and well anyhow he knew john it was mary speaking perhaps you had guessed you knew me this is john it was his turn i knew you said mary do you remember mary blushed and john did not deviate from the healthy red color which he had maintained throughout the conversation in spite of his success he was never quite at ease in society at this period of his life nor were henry paul henry and thomas pentumas they remained handsome but awkward which was why women loved them so i love you john speaking i think i must have always loved you mary going it he took her hand in his nobody noticed them they were as much alone as if they had been at the national gallery together many of the guests were going through similar scenes of recognition and love-making others were asking each other if they had read william Trey william yet and lying about it others again were making for the buffet john and mary had the world to themselves they were married a month later john who did not look his best in a frock-coat had pleaded for a quiet wedding and only the duchess of bilberry and mr pump were present at the simple ceremony which took place at the bloomsbury registry office then the happy couple drove away and where are they spending the honeymoon ah uh, do you need to ask at greenwich no fathead not at greenwich at clacton-on-sea look here i don't believe you're trying have another shot yes dear reader you're right they're going back to Paul Wallop. it might be a good plan to leave them there end of men of letters john penquarto a tale of literary life in london and end of the sunny side by a a milne